when you finish the Gospel of Luke, you may be tempted to think, well, that was a great, nice story. Jesus did those things, past tense, but that's kind of it. That, that's all. But rather, the book of Acts begins with this question hanging over it. I wonder what Jesus will do next. And so the main idea today is just, it's very simple. What Jesus began in his earthly ministry, he continues today through the ministry of your local church, of this church, Cross of Grace Santa Ana. This, this is what the Lord is continuing to do. So a couple of very simple sections today. The first one is the connection, the connection between what Jesus did and what he is doing today. Now, uh, if you think about the book of Acts, if, if we did not have the book of Acts, there would be a profound mystery in the Roman world because Jesus lived and died with a relatively small group of disciples in a relatively small geographic area in sort of the backwater province of the Roman Empire, right? That does not seem like something that's going to change the world. He only ministered for three years. In AD 33, uh, Jesus, when he died, was unknown broadly across the Roman world, but within a few decades, the name and story of Jesus Christ and the good news about him had traveled across the entire Roman world, and it spread. It spread without a powerful ruler behind it. It spread without state support, actually against state support. It spread without armies. So how did a small, untrained band of fishermen and zealots and tax collectors turn the world upside down? How does that even happen? Well, it all hinges on the word began. Right? If you compare translations of verse 1 between Bible versions, some of the language changes in the first book, in the first account, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there is universal agreement among all the translations, essentially, that the most important and striking word here is this word began, erxado, if you're a Greek person. Uh, you speak Koine Greek. It means to start in motion, to begin, to initiate. It means an action that continues through the present into the future. That's what it means. So if you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke, this is the second volume in his Gospel. And the first volume, the Gospel of Luke, had to do with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus ascends into heaven. So it would have been more natural for Luke to say, well, you know, Theophilus, in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus did and all he taught, right? That would, that would be normal. He, he did and taught those things. Now what the church do, is doing or is, you know, might do. But rather than that, he says, no, 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 what, we, what he began to do and teach. So Jesus, there, there's this tension in the Bible that, that Jesus' work is both finished and unfinished. Uh, let, me, let me break that down for you because it's so important. It, it is finished in a clear salvific sense, right? On the cross, Jesus even says, it is finished as he dies. So what is completely and totally finished is the work that Jesus did paying the penalty for our sins. Uh, the book of Hebrews uses this word picture of the high priest standing daily uh, at his service, offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But Jesus is a different high priest because he offers one sacrifice for all, for all time, and then he sits down because it's done, right? That, that Jesus declaring that it is finished is good news for all of us. And if you're here today, you, you may think, okay, well, being a follower of Jesus is about doing a bunch of things and keeping a certain moral code. And, and then after a while, maybe you get into the club. No, 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 no. 
To be a Christian means to rest and receive, rest in and receive the finished work of Jesus. That today, if you're not a Christian, you can go from death to life, from unsaved to saved, from, from with a mountain of debt to all your debts being paid by Jesus in his finished work. And that is good news, amen? amen. That is excellent news. But Jesus' death is not the end of the story. Unlike any other martyr or religious figure, Jesus did not stay dead. He walks and talks with many witnesses. He, he makes breakfast. He instructs, and then he ascends. And brothers and sisters, if that's true, that changes everything for us today. If Jesus is truly alive and well, it has profound implications for our lives and for Sovereign Grace Church of Santa Ana. And Jesus' resurrection is the confirmation of the accomplishment of salvation, but his work continues still. It, some of it remains unfinished. So salvation is accomplished through Jesus, but now the unfinished work is that that good news of what Jesus has done must be heralded and proclaimed. In other words, Jesus, through his life, death, resurrection, he opens the way to eternal life, but sinners must be invited in. Debtors must be invited in. The lost must be invited in. And Jesus could have quickly at that point come and brought judgment to sinners and brought about a new creation, but he, he delays that more might be saved. He began this work, but it continues. And this then is the connection between Luke and Acts and even us today. What Jesus begins in Luke, he continues in Acts. So that the, if you could say, think of it this way, the, the book of the, the gospel of Luke is the story of Jesus' physical body, him ministering in that physical body to uh, people in the first century. But the story of Acts is Jesus ministering through his corporate body, the church meaning his body continues to, to move and do things and to do things and to teach things. So here's the point. Your church today is connected to the story of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, th this, is, this story, this, the story of Sovereign Grace Church of Santa Ana, is the continuing story of what Jesus began to do and to teach. And if you are a Christian today, you are connected. Your life is connected to this text Look, this church is a walking miracle. I remember talking to Kyle uh, in their, their pretty tiny apartment um, where my, one of my sons fell off their bunk, bunk bed, and it was great. We hung out, and uh, we, ate, we ate hummus from the hummus guys that used to be in the, the plaza over there. I miss those guys. Um, and it was, it, was, it was wonderful to hear Kyle's heart and Kelsey's heart for this area. And, and I remember driving away and just thinking, man, how in the world... Is, would it be possible for them to go from just a prayer with a few folks to an actual church? How does that happen? It happens because what Jesus began to do, he continues to do in our day through us and through this church. Amen. This is what the Lord has done, church. So the question then is, the second section, continuation. That was a connection. This is continuation. How do we continue it? How does this church continue it? Well, I want to give you just, just two things from the text that, that when we participate in them, we clearly are tied into the work of Jesus. Now, uh, I'm going to I'm going to talk about uh, this as, as applies to Santa, uh, Cross of Grace Santa Ana, but also just your individual life. So the first thing we see is that Jesus demonstrates the reality of the gospel through what we do. He said, the language is he began to do, meaning these actions that Jesus began. So we see this in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Jesus 
comes on the scene and immediately miracles begin to happen. But what we see is that these miracles aren't just kind of random, razzle-dazzle, you know, Las Vegas, Vegas magic shows where it's like, what, what's the coolest thing I can come up with? No, Jesus is profoundly intentional. These miracles demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God breaking into the world. They are pointing to salvation. They're pointing to restoration through Christ. They're pointing to what Jesus will accomplish on the cross. And so you see Jesus casting out demons and in so doing demonstrating that he will bring freedom from spiritual oppression you see Jesus healing a blind man and that demonstrates how God gives us our spiritual sight and helps us see you see Jesus bringing in the outcast and that demonstrates how Jesus will bring the outcast and the sinner back to the father everywhere Jesus goes Jesus in a sense gives glimpses of a return to what creation and humanity was meant to be before the fall, and in doing so, points to the restoration of this new kingdom, this new creation that Jesus will bring. So Jesus offers a way to eternal life, but what Jesus does points to, uh, exemplifies, is, is a marker toward what Jesus will do. What he's doing in his miracles is what he will accomplish fully on the cross. And then we see this pattern continue in early Acts especially. Luke very clearly highlights the connection between what Jesus did and what the church does. Uh, Later, I want to encourage you to go read Acts chapter 3 where a lame beggar is healed. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, what everybody would realize was this. If Jesus was a dead martyr, why would you be using his name, right? He's dead in the name of this dead person. Well, that person's dead, man. He obviously doesn't have a whole lot of power, right? But if Jesus is alive and well, oh man, his name carries profound power. And you see that miracle that, that, that the Lord through Peter does is actually a, a mirror image in a sense of a miracle that Jesus does. Meaning this, that Luke is trying to tie these things together and say, do you see this? Do you remember what Jesus did? The church is doing the same thing through the power of, li- of, of a living, active Savior. And then you see this in the local church. Now, there are certainly times where God does demonstrate his kingdom and salvation in spectacular ways. We, we see the elders of the church commanded to pray for the sick, that, that God may give a, grant a gift of healing. We see the church also, though, demonstrates Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' salvation and point to those things in, in what seem like everyday and very normal ways. For example, Paul is speaking in the book of Titus about how each person should behave in a self-controlled and godly manner so that, he says, in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God the Savior. Meaning that the gospel is there, but, but what we do can adorn it, can, in a sense, put it in a picture frame that others might view it more clearly. And we, we saw a beautiful example of this in our church. Um, during the pandemic, we had been, pre-pandemic, we had been partnering with a, a Sovereign Grace Church in India, and one of our elders, Todd, had been traveling there and building a relationship with Pastor JP. I'm going to call him JP. His name is Jai Prakash. Um, and he lived in a, a predominantly Hindu village in India. And he had made over the decade many efforts to try to reach this village with the gospel. But uh, sadly, you know, because of the way the Indian culture is, most Hindu folks would not even greet him in the street. Right? So can you, if you can imagine this, you're walking around downtown Santa Ana and you're like, hey, you know, you give them the nod. I don't know. You guys do the nod in Santa Ana? They're like, hey, like that? I don't know. That's what we do in El Paso. Uh, he's doing the nod. Nobody's nodding back. They're just like look, ignoring him. And you're like, oh, come on, man. 
right? And that's what he experienced day after day after day. But the, but the pandemic provided this unexpected opportunity to demonstrate the reality of the Savior and Jesus as King. Because in India, uh, people, the, the government shut everything down and most people in his area worked and then ate. They worked, got money, bought food, then ate, right? It was, it was not like they've got a month of groceries in their house. They worked, bought food, ate. Worked, bought food, ate. All of a sudden, nobody could work. So people were literally starving and going hungry in his area. And so we worked with him. And JP, took, he, he put together these food bags of people. And he would go around and try to inquire about who needed food. And he would deliver the bags and ask if he could pray for people. And all of a sudden, these Hindu people were seeing he was doing something nobody else in their community was doing. He was taking resources that he could have used for his church, instead going and serving and blessing these people. And, and, and he said for the first time, he was invited into people's homes. For the first time, people were saying, yeah, you, of course you can pray for us. And, and as a result, people, there were people in that village that went from death to life and were saved as a result of this ministry. And his, his church has grown, I think, from 20 or 30 folks to almost 100 folks as the Lord has saved and transformed. And now, even when people, even if they're not Christians, when they see him, they will wave. They will thank him for what he did. That's what Jesus is continuing to do, Right? It may not be exactly what Jesus did in this miracle or that miracle, but man, the, the hungry that Jesus fed through his ministry are still being fed through the ministry of JP's church. So we see that. That is continuing to happen. And then we also see this declaration, what Jesus began to teach. So the teaching of Jesus continues. Now notice Jesus' pattern in uh, the Gospels. Uh, Mark 1, for example, says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, meaning the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We have to remember, Jesus was not just a general social do-gooder. He came with a message and he came to proclaim this message. And when Jesus taught, he often taught in a few main categories. He taught the law to show people their need for a savior. He pointed to the love of God for sinners. And then he pointed to who he was as the savior. And that's exactly what we see continuing through the apostles, right? As soon as the spirit falls and Peter stands up, what does Peter declare? No, nothing else. He, he declares what Jesus declared. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Remember, so he's pointing to what he did. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then later he concludes, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you see what Jesus is declaring is the same thing Peter is declaring? And that is the same thing we declared right? It, it's critical for us to see. It wasn't just Jesus and the apostles that declare the gospel of Jesus. It was the members of everyday, normal, local churches like ours. For example, I, I could go on and on about this, but in Acts 11, a group of believers fleeing persecution from Jerusalem land in the city of Antioch and, and, and plant a church. But there's no, nobody's leading a church planting team. They have no elders. It's just local folks that are Christians telling their neighbors about Jesus. 
It says this, those who were scattered, traveled, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Right? These local, everyday Christians are doing the exact same thing the apostles were doing, the exact same thing Jesus was doing. Now, one testimony for our own local church, right? For, for years in our church, we're, we're sort of in the center of El Paso, just kind of like the way you guys are in Santa Ana, but El Paso is not a walkable community as much as Santa Ana is. And so for years, we tried to reach out to those kind of neighbors right around the church building. We tried the Jesus videos. We tried invitations. We tried, I don't know, we, we cut people's grass. We just tried everything. It wasn't working. And so it seemed like there was this radical disconnect between, man, I, I read the book of Acts and God, you know, Lord's doing all this stuff through the proclamation of the gospel. And then we go out in our neighborhood and it's kind of like, okay, thanks. You know, you're like, that's, that's not what I was hoping for after reading Acts. And so we just kept persisting and persisting. And eventually we formed a neighborhood outreach team to get to know the neighbors and just see what the needs were in the neighborhood and, and preach the gospel as we could. And one woman named Maggie was open to talking. She was one of the few people open to talking. She was in her 40s. She had four kids and all four of her kids had significant developmental disabilities. She lived with her ex-husband in the house. Um, and unfortunately, he was, there, there was some addiction issues with him. And, uh, but Maggie, uh, she was loud. She loved rock and roll. She sat in the front of the church and she said, she told us repeatedly, the louder, the better right? So we'd ask her, is it, is it loud enough for you yet, Maggie? And she'd be like, not yet, you know? You're like, all right, let's crank it to 11. And so th this, is, this is Maggie. And through persistence, through people going to her house and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, she was saved. And what was beautiful is all four of her kids, even though they had kind of some of these significant developmental disabilities, all became believers in Jesus also. And it was a precious thing when she was baptized with all four of her kids, with the joy of the Lord on her face. And she was saved and baptized in 2019, and none of us knew that in 2020, she would pass away suddenly without warning from a heart attack. And as we stood around her graveside on this hill, because we had to have it outdoors, it was pandemic, and Jonathan, the guy that had shared the gospel with her, proclaimed the gospel yet again at her funeral with joy declaring that that last year was the happiest year of her life as she followed Jesus. Jesus continues to work through the average ordinary means of the local church proclaiming the gospel of Jesus just like the apostles did and just like Jesus did. So uh, with that, let, let me, you may be thinking, okay, I love that. I like that. Like, I, I want to be involved in that. How do I do that? How much time do I have, Jeff? Well, okay, great. Um, so I, I want to walk through something that our church then does as maybe an application of this. Because you might be thinking, okay, I want to get involved. I, I want to, as part of this local church, I want to be part of what Jesus is doing and teaching in my, you know, in my generation and my day. How do I do that? Well, if you're like me, um, let me just confess this. I think it's an ironic thing that I'm the one teaching on this topic because I remember vividly when I was in high school, our high school youth group did an alpha course, which is kind of like an evangelistic course. And we were all, we all prayed and we all committed. I'm going to invite one person to this course and see what the Lord does. And so I remember I, I, was, I called um, one of my cousins to invite her. And I remember like my hand shaking like, I've got the phone, and I'm like, okay, okay. And this is literally how I invited her. 
hey, hey, so um, I'm sure you're busy on, on, on Friday. I, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you got a lot of things going on. I'm sure, you know, uh, things. But if, if you don't have anything going and if you're just bored and if you have nothing else to do and if, if you're just, you know, if, if you really are at the end of, of anything you could think of to do, um, we're having a, a course. It's kind of about, you know, introducing people to Jesus. And I mean, but it's not a big deal if you don't come. I mean, in fact, you know, if you want to do something else, I actually think that would be better in some ways. But if you, if you really are desperate, you know, it's at 6 p.m. And so uh, uh, thanks so much. Goodbye. Like that was, that was my invitation to high school, right? There's all, me sharing this is like very ironic. Um, and the Lord has had to do a work over the last 20 years in my heart and life to, to open, which I'll share in just a minute, open up my desire to even participate. But sometimes you can feel like, okay, I see the mission. And this is where I was in high school. I see the mission. I want to be involved in the mission, but I don't know how to get from where I am to there, right? I don't know if anybody's there today with 15-year-old Ricky. But if you are... We've, one of our elders at Cross of Grace has developed what he calls the five steps to mission. Now, it's not the only way to do it, but, but it may be a way to begin to participate in what Jesus began to do and teach. So I'm going to give you five steps. Um, I, can, I can give these to Jeff. He can send them out to people. But, but I think more just um, thinking of it as a framework and as a starting place is helpful, okay? So if you're 15-year-old Ricky, join me here. First step is this. Simple. Identify your mission field. Meaning, where the Lord has placed you in life, there are opportunities. Just like in the book of Acts, those Christians that went from Jerusalem to Antioch happened to just be in a new place. The Lord has you, he, you don't just happen to live where you live. You don't just happen to work where you work. Jesus has sent you where you live and work. He, your extended family, I don't know about you guys, but like my extended family is Hispanic. And so there's not like, like four of us, there's like 40 of us at like birthday parties or whatever. And you're just like, oh, man, um, this, is, this is the best. And so if that's you, you have extended family, that is not by accident. So identify your mission field. It might be your workplace, your kids' activity group, the gym, whatever. Second, this is real simple, be known as a Christian. Just let people know that you are a Christian. We want to relate why we are the way we are. There are plenty of nice people in California. There's plenty of nice people in Santa Ana, but we want people to know the way we live our lives, we live that way because we're followers of Jesus. So uh, one of the things Todd points out often is people always ask, what'd you do on the weekend? And so he, his primary uh, expression of evangelism was going to his son's travel baseball game. So he'd be stuck with these people just all year. And so he would just try to build relationships. And so he noticed something about himself. Whenever they asked, hey, what'd you do last weekend? People would be sharing. He would never share that he went to church. It was just like, what'd you do last weekend? Oh, nothing much. Just sat there, you know. Watched the Cowboys lose again. That was, that's for us in Texas. And again, um, but he would say, you know what? I actually had a, a great time. My family and I went to church. We heard a great message on, on this, you know, on how God loves us. It was, it was good. To, and we hung out with some people from church. And actually just letting those people know, oh, you're, I'm a Christian. Um, and, and there are lots of opportunities for this. Befriending those who are friendless, uh, not participating in gossip, speaking well of others, comforting others in distress. Just let people know, oh, I, I'm a Christian and I'd love to help. Third, Form friendships with people who don't know Jesus. Don't just be around them. Try to befriend them. What, what are ways to do that? Well, you can get to know people. 
You can remember things about their lives and bring them up. Like, hey, I remember you had a, your daughter's, I did this recently with the, my dental hygienist. When you have like the 60 seconds where they're in your mouth and they're like, how's your weekend? <laughs> like, I'm, I managed to, to remember, oh, his son is having a birthday party. And I brought it up. How was your son's birthday party? And he was just surprised. Like, oh, well, actually. You remember that? Wow, yeah, it was, it was actually great. And began telling me about his family, right? So you want to you try to enter their world. You can invite people to lunch or to, you know, you guys go into the park. You can have longer conversation beyond just how's the weather, right? Take an interest in them and befriend them. Fourth, then, be equipped for the mission. Now, notice this is not the beginning of the list because here's what often happens. Christian will be like, okay, I want to get out there. I want to reach my community, but I need to read like 12 apologetics books. I need to know how to answer every single question before I can befriend anybody. And the problem is you'll never be fully equipped about everything and every topic. So Todd puts it forth. But as you're in friendship with people, then make sure. Do you have the gospel clear? Can you articulate it? Do you know how to do that well, right? Um, study the Bible, not just for yourself, but, but for the good of others around you. Listen to ask questions. Uh, learn to ask questions, rather, about people that lead to spiritual conversations. Uh, in our area, lots of people are Catholic, and so you need to learn a little bit about Catholicism so that you can share the gospel effectively. Because um, when we say, do you believe in grace, they'll say yes, but their conception of grace is very different from often our conception of grace. And last and fifth, apply, apply biblical truth to people's needs. As you form relationships, sin and crisis will create a need in people's lives. And as a Christian, if they know you are a Christian, often you'll find that they will turn to you. They'll see need for comfort or help or encouragement. They will turn to people who've shown interest in them as a person. We want to be people that others feel comfortable turning to in times of distress, uh, times of sickness, times of, of marriage crisis or parenting crisis or uh, mental crisis. And begin then to just apply the truth you learn every Sunday to the lives of the people around you. And often what, what we do is we just listen for ourselves on Sunday mornings as Kyle or Jeff or others proclaim the gospel. But, but we should have an ear as well. Where could that truth help my coworker? Where could that truth help my aunt? And begin to go from there. All right, well, let me wrap this up. That's five simple ways you can get started. And just start with one. Just start working on one. And, and I think the text here of, of, of Acts 1 through 3 should have a profound and powerful call on our lives, a claim on our lives. Because I want to fast forward just a second, just for a second to the very end of the book. At the, at the end of Acts, Acts seems to end in a very strange note. It ends with Paul in prison. It ends, doesn't seem like it ends with a bang. It seems like it ends with a whimper. And yet, this is the very end of Acts. It says this, that Paul lived in Rome, two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What's Luke doing there? Well, he is saying, he starts with, I'm going to tell you what Jesus continues to do and teach, and he ends with Paul, just one guy under house arrest, welcoming people as a demonstration of the gospel, and then sharing with them the hope and truth of the gospel. And, and Paul goes from this, you know, he's planting churches. Now he's just a guy in a house in Rome. But the work of Jesus continues. And so let me just encourage you today. You may be in a few different places, but, but God is inviting you to be part of what he continues to do and teach. You may be timid 
Well, this text would, would call you to boldness, knowing that when you go, when you're Ricky at 15, shaking and trying to invite somebody to an evangelism course, Jesus is with you. Jesus continues to work. You may be distracted. There may be lots of other things in your life that take priority and precedence over building relationships and taking an interest in those around you. And this is a call then to reorient your life. This is the greatest cause you could give your life to. You may be broken. Look, maybe you're here today and you got hard things in your past and you're thinking, man, I'm the last person that should be telling anybody about anything. Maybe you, you feel like held back by your story. Well, listen, today through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have a new story. Your story begins in Acts 1. Your story begins in the Gospel of Luke, and it continues today. So enter into that story, and last, and this is the biggest thing I want to say, um, to those that have been faithful, uh, I've met a few of you. Who, who among you guys have been here for like four or more years? Raise your hand if you've been here for four or more years. Look, man, here's what I want to say. Here's what I think this text would say to you, brothers and sisters. What you have given your lives to is valuable, beautiful, and precious. It is what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. He's continuing to seek and save in Santa Ana, and you guys are part of this work. And so part of it is I just want to, as a Sovereign Grace pastor from the outside, want to come in and encourage you and say, well done. There is a gospel witness that has lasted in downtown Santa Ana because of your faithfulness. Um, and if you're new here, this is your invitation to become part of this story because I, I think this text would call us to lean forward and ask, what will Jesus do next? I mean, think about what he's done in the last five years. It's gone from a dream and a prayer to a gospel preaching church in Santa Ana. What could the next five years hold? I'm gonna just encourage you to lean forward and ask, what will he do next? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, I thank you so much for Sovereign Grace Church of Santa Ana. Lord, I, I, I pray that those especially that have been faithful for a number of years would see the profound connection, that they haven't just set up chairs, they haven't just had people over to their house, they haven't just you know, encouraged and counseled and preached the gospel to somebody coming in. They have been part of your continuing work to the ends of the, of the earth. I pray that you would encourage them, Lord, that, that they would see, look back in the last five years and see what they've done is valuable and beautiful and important, and in fact, is the greatest thing they could have given themselves to. And I pray for those who knew that they would today want to not just attend Sovereign Grace Church of Santa Ana, but rather be part of the story of God, the story of Jesus Christ continuing through Sovereign Grace Church of Santa Ana. And that, that they would take this up and move from maybe today from being an attender to being a, a, a part, a partner of this church. And Lord, I pray for anyone today too that may not know you, that may feel um, that their story really is a bad story. It's a poor story, and they're just continuing to live it and can't escape it. Lord, I pray that they would hear the offer of the gospel, that in Christ they can have a new story, that you can wash their sins away, bring them to new life, and, and bring them into a beautiful mission to serve and love the people around them. Amen.